Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are just a couple days removed from WWE Elimination Chamber fully on the road to WrestleMania 39. That means that this edition of Getting Over is even more jam-packed than usual. Not only will we be taking a second look at WWE Elimination Chamber, we have the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We will be booking the damn territory for WrestleMania 39, and of course, we will leave you with the last word. An absolutely loaded edition of Getting Over that we will start, as we always do, with a reminder that this show is all about defy. So please, it is the road to WrestleMania. Do us a favor. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. For vintage Chris Benini joining us in a moment, head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review because if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, and so much more. You also get to vote in pre and post show polls ahead of premium live events and pay per views. You can join us for live shows on Twitter spaces, and you can send us DMs and tweets that we will read live right here on the show. Again, you can do all of that by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. One of our listeners who follows us at Getting Overcast is Blake Murphy at Chloe Elkhound, who brought a great getting over sign to Elimination Chamber this past Saturday in Montreal. I believe he also brought that sign to Ottawa for Raw on Monday night. Unfortunately, I know for Chamber, he was in the back right corner of the ring on the hard cam side, so he never actually got to see the sign. That's okay. He did a take on our logo that looked super cool. I appreciated him DMing it to us. So, Blake, I just wanted to take this moment and make sure that we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement acknowledge. right there. Acknowledge. Yes, uh, the Silver King texted that picture to me when he got it. Very cool. I looked for it. I, I didn't see it, but it was super cool to see that. Uh, so shout out to, to Blake for bringing that. And uh, I like that drop, by the way. New drop. There's a number of new drops on today's show that you will be hearing, uh, not just obviously today's show, but going forward here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I told you guys, once we got the new equipment, we were going to be building some stuff out here. In fact, two more pieces of equipment coming for the Silver King before the end of the week. So we're just getting started, improving our sound, improving our show. And it all is all because of you, the Getting Overheads, contributing to the podcast and people like Blake trying his best to support us outside the confines of his phone or tablet or wherever he normally listens to the show by bringing that sign to Elimination Chamber. I know he was right behind Asuka. Um, that's where uh, some pictures of the show that he sent me was where he was located. And they went to that pod so many times, but they just never like fully like panned where we needed them to pan yeah. to get Blake on TV. But nevertheless, Blake, we greatly appreciate you bringing the sign. And again, we acknowledge you, Chris. We have about six weeks left until WrestleMania. And I got to say, even though SmackDown and Raw this week, I would argue, took a step back from what we've gotten recently in WWE on this road to WrestleMania, this is the most I've anticipated. The road itself 
and WrestleMania itself in years. We have about a half dozen stories that are either set or pretty obvious, another half dozen that are simmering right below the surface, and a few unknowns kind of still out there. I don't know how many years it has been since WrestleMania truly delivered top to bottom, start to finish. We've had some that have gotten off to crazy hot starts and then petered out, but I don't really know. And last year, you can say night one maybe delivered, night two kind of fell off a little bit. I don't know the last time we've just had a dynamite, pun not intended, WrestleMania, bell to bell, beginning to end. This year's show feels like it's shaping up to be that. It, it does. I mean, I anticipated last year more just because I was going and that was just a, a factor <laughs> in that. But in terms of this, like it, it's it's interesting because last year, the last few years, I think we've had almost everything set basically by Elimination Chamber. And then the final four or five weeks leading into the show really dragged. And we're just like, all right, can yes. we just get to WrestleMania? We're running out of stuff to do with Bianca and Sasha Banks or whatever. Can we just mm-hmm. get to the get to the final? It was thing. really so, repetitive. Yes, it was. Yes. So with Triple H having the book this time around, it feels like they are trying to pace that a lot better. We know a couple of matches. We think we know a couple more. There's still more to come. So there is a lot more intrigue around it going in. And uh, I am looking forward to the next handful of weeks. I will say coming out of Elimination Chamber with your first episode of Raw fully next up. Next stop is WrestleMania. I didn't love Raw. It was kind of a weird and boring and sometimes bizarre episode. So not the best foot forward. uh, But that doesn't change my you know, trust in their ability to figure it out the next six weeks. And, and don't forget, we we were texting. We usually don't text each other after the shows because we want our takes to be fresh for the podcast. But I texted you during SmackDown on Friday and I was like, Chris, some of the booking decisions they're making, some of the things they're saying on the show, they're actually concerning me for WrestleMania. Like, I, I don't want to sound silly, but the way SmackDown was booked Friday on Friday night alone, just that yeah. night, peeled away some enthusiasm I had for WrestleMania. It seemed to give away the booking of a number of matches at Elimination Chamber. And it also seemed like it was going to be really easy to extrapolate what happened Friday on SmackDown through Saturday, through Raw on Monday night, and then on the build to Mania. Now, between Chamber and Raw, half of my concerns, I think, were rectified. And we're going to go through that in detail later in the good and the bad and the ugly. But on Friday night, and it really stood out for me with Drew McIntyre, Sheamus against the Viking Raiders and the Bray Wyatt promo, both of which we're going to discuss later. When I when those concluded, I was like, what the hell is going on and what are they doing with the tag team title picture, the intercontinental title picture and the Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley situation that we've talked about a little bit on the instant analysis. And then, Chris, to your point, coming into Raw. I just thought the Ottawa crowd was shockingly weak as hell. Now, I spoke to a couple Canadians who were in our DMs, and they're like, yeah, that's Ottawa. Like, they're not Montreal. They're not Toronto. They're not even uh, Calgary. Obviously, Calgary's further away. But Ottawa is like a down city. And I guess it was easier for WWE to just kind of stay in that area. But if I'm them, and I'm doing this again in the future next year, I'm considering booking three shows in Montreal. Friday, the weekend, And then Monday, and I'm staying away from Ottawa because no, Raw was not good or it was not great. I should say it was fine. It was nothing special. It was weak for a show coming out of a premium live event. 
but the crowd did not help at all. It was better than the way the crowd responded to it. Yeah, I, I think I had heard someone say that uh, they hadn't been to Ottawa in a very long time, mm-hmm. WWE. So you would have maybe expected a bit more. It was a bit of an odd crowd. I don't think they hit Toronto unless they did for house shows on this. I think run. Roman Reigns is doing a house show there this week. That could be, yeah. So, so that could be the case. So I, it, it was, you know, we didn't get Roman Reigns on Raw. Not, not totally surprising, but um, but I mean, it's the road to WrestleMania, and he's the champion. I mean, yes, this is the point where you kind of need the champion on almost every episode. So it was just it was kind of a weird one. And and by the way, as we get into Mania talk, like there is a disclaimer here of like we you know, you and I have booked out Mania the way we would want it to happen. And a lot of fans have done the same. Right. Just because it doesn't it just in case it doesn't become what we uh, predicted doesn't mean it's bad. Correct. But. So so it's not I would have done this. Therefore, that's bad. That's not necessarily the case, but it can also just separately be bad or good on its own. So like (laughs) we're we're coming into this being like, hey, I wanted this to happen. I'm not getting that. So I'm going to be mad about it. No, that's not necessarily the case. We're going to come at this from a view of like, just does this make sense or not, regardless of what we would have done. You're right. There's two levels of analysis and criticism. One level of it is this is not what I would have done. But we'll see, you know, it sounds like it could be good. And then the other level is not only is this not what I would have done, this doesn't doesn't make any sense and I hate it. And that is reserved for a more thin group, a a lighter group, a smaller group of storylines and matches that we're going to talk about on today's show. So we're going to get to all of that. As I said, not one, not two, not three, not four, five segments on this edition of the Getting Over wrestling podcast i happen to love the number five another new sound drop for y'all uh elimination chamber second look the main event the good the bad and the ugly booking the damn territory for wrestlemania 39 and the last word all coming at you today which means chris let's get started with that wwe elimination chamber second look now we're going to get into thoughts from the show and some thoughts from the press conference as well off the top I just need to make a mea culpa because my math was actually off when I did the pre-show grade uh, for the getting overheads when we did our uh, instant analysis. So allow me to start with a correction. The pre-show expectation grade averaged out to 4.1, not 4.3. That makes it an A minus, not an A, Chris. So the listeners were aligned with you with the expectation going in. And the post-show grade was actually a 4.2, which put it higher than the expectation. So people thought the show was better than they believed it would be going into it, but still an A minus, not an A. So we already had that correct, but I just wanted to clarify it was A minus across the board. Silver King gave it an A, but everyone else was A minus. Now, my grade for the show, as I said, not changing, but I do have some altered grades for the matches that I rewatched. Usually I only adjust like one match a show. This time I'm adjusting three. The women's chamber, I originally gave 3.75 B+. I rewatched it. That was a damn good match. I don't know really what I was thinking there. And the finish was sudden, which is probably why I downgraded it. But I love the match. Four stars, A minus on that. The mixed tag team match, I'm also bumping up from a four A minus to a 4.25 A. Aside from the little botch that we talked about, it was chaotic. Everyone did a great job. The atmosphere was incredible. It took it over the top. And more importantly than that, it may have been the best I've ever seen women featured in a mixed tag team match. And those are upgrades 
Now a downgrade. Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley. I have no idea what I was thinking. Calling it three <laughs> stars, B minus. I rewatched it. 2.5 stars, C. Yeah. yeah, we got meat slapping. Okay. And we love that. And maybe that is a little bias, but it was formulaic as hell. There was nothing interesting or inventive about it. On top of that, we got a DQ finish. The post-match was way better than the match itself. And I think in the moment, I let that affect my grade when I shouldn't have. So as I said, two upgrades, women's chamber, mixed tag, and a clear downgrade, Lashley Lesnar. I don't think any of you are keeping score, but if there happens to be a record out there somewhere, I want to correct it. Chris, (laughs) any thoughts on that before we get to some takeaways from the show? No, mostly that I agreed. I mean, I said after the show that the women's chamber very much over delivered from what I thought. It was a lot of fun. And Brock Bobby did nothing for me because they just spammed finishers until they got to the finish. And it wasn't it was barely even an actual match, which is why I said, if we get them again, I really want them to actually do a match because both of them can do it. But they're just never booked that way. So, uh, yeah. Now, going through all that, by the way, it does give even more credence to when I graded the show an A, because really what I'm sitting at is three A to A plus matches and a C. And the C was yeah. like the least important match on the entire show. So uh, I really Elimination Chamber was a lot of fun. I do have a number of takeaways from watching it a second time, some of which we kind of shared on the instant analysis, but I kind of want to double back here. It's a good opportunity for us to do it. Let's start with Roman Reigns. He is on a remarkable heel run right now to generate FU chance to the degree that he now has across two separate PLEs in front of two different crowds purely because he's playing his character so well and not necessarily out of rebellion or because he took a specific action in the moment. It's incredible. Now, Dominic Mysterio got similar chance and that was unexpected. It shows how great of a job he's doing as well, though, if he can elicit that from the crowd. I've previously criticized AEW crowds for profane chants. And while I'm obviously no prude, we will curse occasionally on the show. And in my personal life, I curse all the time. I often find crowd chants with curse words to be unnecessary. With AEW crowds, the reason why it's a bigger issue for me is because it's often not warranted. It's just kind of thrown out there all the time when it doesn't need to be. And it wasn't really warranted with Dom at Elimination Chamber. But with Roman, man, to see him get that reaction, to see him be so deep into this tribal chief gimmick that it's kind of tough now to remember him any other way. The suffering succotash Roman, the this is my yard now Roman. Like, who was that guy? It's almost tough to believe they're the same person. The tribal chief Roman Reigns, this is an all-time character doing some of the best heel work that I've ever seen. And it just deserves that little bit of extra appreciation. Roman Reigns deserves his flowers here. Yes. Cody said on Raw, Roman, you are the greatest undisputed WWE Universal Champion in the company's history. Now, he is the only Only one (laughs) in the company's history, but this is an all-time character, an all-time heel, an all-time championship run. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I said it a year, even two years ago, just ever as, as soon as he became Tribal Chief, like as soon as he became that and stopped wearing the vest, uh, you went back and looked at the old stuff and you're like, man, we got years and years of Roman pushes that were just not there. You, you know, the beating Triple H, beating Sheamus, beating The Undertaker. They tried for so long, so stubbornly to make that happen. And all it took was one flip and everything worked. 
finally. Well, it took and, a, it yeah. also took him stepping away during a pandemic. <laughs> but, yes, but I mean, like him turning heel, like and finally. Yes, it, yes. Yeah, I mean, by the way, he turned heel without fans. Like he right. had to have that. He had to work. He was able to also work on that for a period of time uh, until fans came back. So this is an all-time run. I agree that F.U. Roman chants um, work in this set because he is at such a high level. Like MJF getting. That. Yes, MJF getting the shut the fuck up chance every single time he's doing a promo is a bit much. Exactly. Um, and I, I, I'm fine with AW, you know, pushing the limits of swearing and doing stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. you need Definitely. someone to you need someone to do that. You need those things to happen. Uh, and also with the Dominic stuff goes back to what I said. I don't know if it was last week or the instant analysis, but Dominic's the second second biggest heel in the company right now. <laughs> he gets the second most heat behind Roman, and it's just absolutely working. And that's incredible. Such a great turn from him, you know, from where he was when Triple H took over creative to where he is now, you know, big credit to Dominic as well. He's not necessarily doing he's doing great character work, but it's a different, totally different type of heel. In in fact, you could say it's the exact opposite type of heel from what Roman Reigns is, but it's working to a great degree. Uh, But Reigns, what he's doing is just absolutely fantastic. And you made a really good point. How, How long this has gone, it dates back to not exactly the beginning of the pandemic, but a couple months into the pandemic, this guy coming back, wreck everyone and leave the new veneers, the different, you know, beard styling and the hair and him coming in the Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman, you know, winning the title. Think about that. Think about how much has happened in this world from when Reigns started that run all the way till now. We're talking about WrestleMania 39, three years, uh, 900 days plus holding this title, going into WrestleMania six weeks left. And just now, maybe it probably, let's say, seems like he's finally going to drop it. Now, on the other side of Reigns, Triple H did say this in the press conference, but I had this thought anyway myself, and others have had it too. It's not a unique take, but it is remarkable how similar this version of Sami Zayn is to Mick Foley. It's certainly less of a pathetic character compared to the way Mankind was occasionally booked to be back in the Attitude Era. But they're extremely similar in terms of the way the fans rally around them and want to see them succeed against the company's top star. Because even when Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston were getting cheers in their WrestleMania pushes, none of them were going up, neither of them, I should say, were going up against someone at the level of Roman Reigns or Mick Foley at the time. Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock and Triple H. You know, know, Daniel Bryan as champion, the, the... Earth's champion, the planet's champion. You know, it was good. It it worked as a nice foil to Kofi, but it wasn't some dominant type of situation. Seeing what's happening right now with Sami Zayn, the way the crowd's reacting to him, and it's not just the Canadian crowd. It's the entire WWE universe. I try not to use that term, but it is. Every every city they go to, it really does bring those Mick Foley comparisons to life. And I do wonder, I'd love to ask Sami Zayn this, but I wonder if those comparisons, if he accepts them, and embraces them, or if he finds them to some degree to not be appropriate. Well, and remember, Triple H, you know, often believes he was made as a main eventer by Mick Foley. Absolutely. You know, uh, in early was it 1999, I think that was. So there, there, there is definitely a lot of respect there with that. And, you know, Sammy, even when he was in NXT, you know, before he was always like the ultimate face 
guy. He he was the underdog. He had the cheery music. He just he was it was hard to imagine him in a different role. And he played heel very well you know, on the main roster and stuff like that. But he feels most natural in this spot. And Sammy's press conference, you know, he was like, I don't even know, really. I feel detached right now. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to feel like in, in this moment. Mm-hmm. So it was um, it was a good scene. Now, circling back to what we discussed on the instant analysis, this idea being pushed by, let's call them some influential wrestling media people, that WWE made some historic mistake by putting Roman over Sammy. Let me say this plainly, okay? And I said this on the instant analysis. Some of you may not have listened to it, so I'm going to repeat myself. You do not end a historic run lasting three years and over 900 days on a B-level show against a Foley-like character who has never cared about the championship until three weeks ago. And you do not do it one month or six weeks before your biggest show of the year, having nearly sold out two nights in Los Angeles's brand new stadium. And you absolutely don't do it when taking that streak away would reduce the monumental aspect of Cody Rhodes' potential achievement. Cody being the first guy to pin Roman in 1,000 days would be huge. You don't build a monster heel and a record title reign only to give it away for a hometown pop, even though Montreal was incredible. Do you remember? So we we all remember Hollywood Hogan's uh, long title run in WCW. He, he, he's, uh, he wins the title from the Giant, and he goes on this long, long run. Do you remember who he dropped the title to? Um, it was not Goldberg. Well, we, we you you think you think Sting? You think Sting at Starcade? You know the big uh, they botched it Sting at the end. Goldberg, but the big I... song. But he lost it before then. Okay, he lost it on the one hundredth or two hundredth episode of Nitro to Lex Luger, to, oh. to and then he regained the title like a week later. Held it for it, that was that was a almost one year reign for Hogan. He okay. loses to Lex Luger on Nitro, wins it back five days later, and then goes on the the along uh, uh, another run and loses it to Sting at Starcade. Like that 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 that's what the, that would have reminded me of to do this. The idea that oh Sammy should have won in Montreal and then Roman wins it back or something like that to go into Mania, which I saw some people say like that losing. Roman losing to Sammy at Elimination Chamber would have been such a WCW type of decision. And a lot of people like, oh, it was in Montreal. How could you, you know, mess up this moment? This was the plan. I know. They didn't (laughs) announce Montreal until late October. It's not like Montreal just happened to be the place. This was the plan. Like <laughs> It was fully planned. The storyline was planned. The location was planned. Yes. This was done on purpose. Yes. It's not like they were great. They, they, it's not like they lucked into some big moment and then blew it. This was the plan. So, uh, yes, like I understand people wanting Sammy to win. I've just noticed a lot of AEW fans that I see on Twitter, they're bigger fans of AW than WWE were just apoplectic that Sammy lost that, that they're out on WWE and all this stuff. I was like, like, I just, I don't get that. If you've been watching this thing as it's gone on for I mean, almost a year now. And, and one, of, even one of the people perpetrating this, I'm not going to name names, but he, he, he's covered wrestling twice as long as as I've been alive. I mean, I mean, he hasn't been, but it feels like that, right? Like, like the, perhaps the most knowledgeable active historian in the sport 
other than Jim Cornette, you could possibly say. And they keep pushing this, you know, take that, oh, WWE made this huge mistake, not capitalizing on the moment and putting the title on. It's like, no, the WWE did exactly what they wanted to. Triple H did exactly what he wanted to. Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns did exactly what they wanted to, what they planned to do here. Now, you could make an argument that, hey, you know, maybe they should have built Sammy all the way to WrestleMania and done it there and saved Cody for WrestleMania 40. If you want to make that argument, I'm okay with it, but that would have required Sami Zayn winning the Royal Rumble. And if you weren't going to have him do that, then that's not the match that you're getting. So I just, I don't get it at all. And, and really good shout by you talking about Hollywood Hogan's reign. It was over a year. Like you said, he dropped it five days, won it back, had another long reign, lost it to Sting. I got confused because I just kept remembering Hogan dropping it to Goldberg in Atlanta, Georgia on Nitro. But that was like a year later after what you're talking about. You're talking about when Hollywood Hogan was like the height of Hollywood Hogan. And you make a great point. Hollywood Hogan was established as the guy in WCW. This is, you know, he made the turn. He's with the NWO. He's the champion. And that Lex Luger um, title win, which... I mean, where was it? Like a small show? It was the Ohio? Palace of Auburn Hills. Okay, right. Ohio, Michigan. The there you go. Games. Okay, yep, Michigan. Yep. So, so you just give it away nine days before they did Road Wild, if memory serves. Yep. And yep. and it's like it's un- it's forgettable. I don't remember that at all. When Roman Reigns drops the title, it's going to be memorable. And if it, especially if it happens to Cody at WrestleMania 39 in Los Angeles, sold out, night two main event. That's how you do it. You don't just give it away yes. on a Montreal show because people happen to like Sami Zayn. You can have issues with how it played out in the post-match. I said that in the analysis. Yeah, we did. The we post-match a- did not hit for me the way I think it needed to, but that doesn't mean that's different than thinking uh, that, that Sami should have won. Like I, I was fine with Sami losing. I had issues with how they followed up on it after the match, which can be separate issues as well. And on that note, like coming out of things that a lot of people don't seem to be understanding coming out of the show, it is wild the amount of fans who don't understand what we laid out during the instant analysis and what we're going to talk about in a little bit. Why Kevin Owens did not rush to Sami Zayn's aid during the match, why he waited until after the bell, and why they did not hug in the ring. Now, granted, I said in our instant analysis, I would have had Sami pull KO in for the hug because at least Montreal gets a moment at the end. But the creative made complete sense. It made even more sense Monday night on Raw when we talk about that. Yes, my only issue was I was KO coming in like right when the post-match beatdown started. Not like, I wanted Sam, yeah. I wanted Sammy to get beat out, draw that out, get the booze going, and then Kevin Owens comes out. That that that's how I would have would have um tweaked that ending. So you're like, right. And, and it's yeah. So what frustrated me about it is Fans ask for nuance and continuity, and we've been begging WWE to give that to us. And then they give it to us, and people refuse to accept that's what they're doing. It's mind-numbing to me. Yeah, so like I said on this analysis, I hate that we both often agree on these things. It's more mm-hmm. fun of a podcast when we disagree, right but like, like, like you can... You can see how this played out. This was this like this was the plan. That match brought a lot of people back into wrestling who don't watch it so much. Like I saw mm-hmm. people who are casual wrestling fans who were bored by the All NBA All Star Game or sorry the Slam Dunk competition and uh, and and turned it on or after the Slam Dunk competition or something like that. So like it was an opportunity there, and I do think they missed it in a couple of small ways. But I don't think Sammy winning the title 
a month before Mania was was the missed opportunity. They made him a main eventer. And I know it's cliche to say that. And I know WWE overuses that by saying, oh, he got a moment in the ring with John Cena. They showed he could. No, they built Sammy up like this was WrestleMania. They gave him promos, crowd moments, vignettes, his wife, who's never part like bringing his wife into it at the end. Who he's purposely you- kept away from yes. wrestling his entire career. They brought her in to do this with obviously his permission yes. on purpose for the moment. They they actively made Sammy into a main eventer now in a real tangible efforting kind of way. And they do deserve credit for that. This was not the simple, oh, you give him a title match and therefore he's a main eventer. No, they gave you everything Sammy Zayn now yeah. uh, that, that, that you won't forget. And similarly, you know, people want Sammy Zayn to be a main eventer. People want the WWE Tag Team Championships to matter. Now, we don't know if this is going to transpire the way we've been predicting that it will, but undisputed champion Usos who have had, who have now the record title reign in WWE against newly made main eventer Sami Zayn and super over best friend Kevin Owens, possibly in the main event of night one of WrestleMania or the opening match of night two, or a really big spot for the WWE Tag Team Championships that elevates them, it elevates the titles, and it's accomplishing what fans want. So I talked about this on the Instant Analysis. People saying that that type of match would be a relegation. Okay, yeah, it is technically lower than the World Championship. We know that. But it's not a relegation when it comes to prominence. It's something that people are really going to care about. And if you think the pop for them potentially winning the tag team titles, if they do that, would be any less than Sammy winning the World Championship, in Los Angeles, I'm not talking about Montreal, but in Los Angeles, you're kidding yourself. It would be a huge moment either way. So let's kind of put that on the back burner as we get through the rest of the show. I do still have more takeaways here, Chris. Let me get through them quick. Uh, but please interject, okay, if you have takes on what I said here. Um, Carmella across SmackDown and Elimination Chamber, and I can even include Raw this Monday night. She's the most entertaining that she has been in years. You can tell she has found something that was missing from a character standpoint. And Look, she's never going to be a tier one grappler in WWE. She's not Becky. She's not Asuka, Bailey, any of them. But we saw this past week flashes of the improvement that she made a couple of years ago that seemed lost in her last return. She's gone back to the Princess of Staten Island character without really being Staten Island. And it, that was her best character. And she's, she's, she's gone back into that. She made a lot of improvement for a while. She's good on the mic. She's good in the ring. Uh, She is absolutely delivering right now. Good to see her back, and she's been living up to it. So Montez Ford, we know that he had an MVP type of performance in the Elimination Chamber. Gargano was technically my MVP, but Ford showed out. He became a true star in that match. But he has got to cool it with the DX chops, okay? I counted (laughs) eight during the Chamber match. Eight, not three or four, eight, okay? It's like he's... In a video game, spamming celebration moves to try to pump up his bar so he can hit a finisher or something like that. I'm not saying he can never do it, although it does kind of I don't don't, want to sound like an old guy, but like it does bother me that like Billy Gunn's sons are doing the DX chop on AEW when they have nothing to do with DX other than their father was in it and that Montez Ford is doing it on Raw when he has truly nothing at all to do with DX. But like whatever, I digress. I get past that. I'm not saying he can never do it, but like. Limit it to two times per match, and you're going to be okay. Even that's a lot. And I'm more fine with the guns using it. But use it, it's got to mean something when you use it. Has it has to mean something. Do it for a reason, right? Yes. 
Uh, I downgraded the match, but Lesnar's post-match attack on Lashley, I mentioned in the referee, that got one of the three or four hottest reactions of the entire night. People just like seeing Brock Lesnar murder. Like, like if if you can mm-hmm. watch him in one of those rooms where you just break stuff that apparently like you people use to get out their aggression, I think you could get high ratings on Lesnar doing that every single week, just tearing things apart, beating people up. The crowd was on fire for that. I wanted to mention that. Um, Seth Rollins and Johnny Gargano, they worked extremely well together in the chamber. Now, there's really no reason for this to happen, but I kept, I couldn't stop myself from thinking they would be an insane tag team together. They worked so well, their talent was immense, and they worked off each other really well. And then lastly, we've said it before, but Logan Paul is completely made for this. He was incredible with his burst in the ring. But even beyond that, when he closed the door and then climbed the cage and stuck his arms through, and he just was being an asshole cackling at Rollins while Theory beat him up, it was great, great heel shit. Yep. I still think he's probably going to be a world champion one day. He gets he gets pro wrestling better than anything else that he's done. Like this is what he was made for. He's made a lot of mistakes and done some bad shit and done some good shit and all this stuff. Pro wrestling just is like the most natural thing he's done. Now, some takeaways from the post elimination chamber press conference. I have three. I know you have a couple. I'll run through mine really quick. Uh, It was really touching to see Triple H get emotional when he was talking about Pat Patterson. He listed a bunch of Canadians that he felt WWE honored their legacy by putting on a show the quality of what they did at Chamber. He also made sure to specifically call out Bret Hart, which I thought was notable. Uh, Sammy was clearly proud of the Bloodline story and everything they did together when he spoke. You could really see him glowing in the press conference as he was still trying to process what happened. And I really do recommend going and finding that and watching Sammy's part at a minimum. It was Mm -hmm. one of the more interesting wrestler press conferences I've ever seen whether WWE, AEW, or New Japan. It was a really deep mix of kayfabe and reality, and it was really tough to kind of separate the two when Sammy was answering his questions. And lastly, Triple H did say one notable thing. He doesn't care if the company is sold as long as the buyer is someone who will let them tell their stories, put on great wrestling, and do what they all love to do. And I really feel like, with the exception of one potential buyer, that is how most fans feel. It's Mm -hmm. probably also the right position for him to take especially given his job. Like whoever does buy WWE would be an absolute idiot at this point to make any creative changes. It's primarily taking Triple H off the top of that department. Yes. Thank you to Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics for asking that question. A real question. That the, yes. That was the biggest thing I said coming out of the Rumble pay-per-view was like, how does nobody just ask? What, even if you get a non-answer, and it was mostly a non-answer from Triple H because mm-hmm. he knows what he's doing. But you you got to ask it. That's the, that was the most interesting thing that came out of it. So questions were largely better. There were still some, you know, there's some WWE officials in asking questions. It is what it is. But the questions were a lot better. So credit to the people involved for that. And to your point about Sammy's press conference, he he opened that press conference by saying, like, I don't know how I feel about what just happened. I feel kind of detached and not sure about it right now. And then by the end of the press conference, he was like, you know what? I think it was pretty good now that I'm like <laughs> thinking back and talking about it. So you're right. He did. He did kind of process it in real time as yeah. he was talking about it. So it was really interesting. and It's what makes him so uh, compelling. And, and there was one thing he said, which I just I thought was spot on for wrestling but any business and and that was he said we live in an age of content now you've got everything you need at at your phone everybody's good like being good isn't good enough anymore right you have to do something that's memorable for longer than a week or two 
And that's what makes you stand out. And I was like, that's exactly, that's my business. That's your business. That's, that's, it that's is. everything right now. So I thought, thought that was really, uh, really good as well. And my last press conference take was that, uh, so Beth Phoenix comes up for their part of the press conference and she still has the, uh, the bull Nakano face, mm-hmm. not face paint, but kind of face paint. Yeah, on. And face my, paint. my thought, my thought was, did she have to keep that on for the entire time post match until they got to the press conference or did she put it back on or <laughs> I yeah, don't know. Why wouldn't you go backstage and immediately <laughs> wash that off? I, I would, yeah. I know I would, I'd be all sweaty yeah. and sticky. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. But yeah. And, and, and edge was asked good questions about like, potentially his final run and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, you know? So again, much better questions asked by the the people uh, there. And I should note also edge did say uh, after raw on Monday, he said, Ottawa, you know, thanks for the great response. First time I've wrestled here in 18 years. It may be my last. So it does seem like edge is in the process of doing that retirement tour that he kind of alluded to um, when they were in Toronto last or, you know, a couple months ago saying, Hey, you know, I'd probably like to end my career here next time we come through. So when that Toronto show does happen, and really, hopefully, WWE doesn't make it a Raw or a SmackDown. They make it a premium live event in Toronto. That would be fantastic if they do it next year. Um, that may be the point where Edge wrestles his final match, so we should definitely be looking out for that. Chris, that was an extended second look at Elimination Chamber and where WWE stands entering the second part of the road to WrestleMania 39. It was also the first segment of today's show. Let's get to the second and slide into the main event. This is the main event. So we're going to be talking about the main event storyline right now in WWE, which of course is Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, the bloodline and Cody Rhodes two part main event for you right now. Sammy opened raw. He got a great ovation, but it was only about half of what he got on SmackDown and elimination chamber in Montreal, Ottawa, step up your game. Now he expressed gratitude for the fans, but he also expressed guilt for letting people down by coming up short. Zayn said the final chapter of his story is not just about him. So he introduced Kevin Owens. Sammy thanked KO. He apologized, but he realized also that they're past words. Zayn said his mission now is to ensure Roman Reigns and the bloodline crumble. And given neither of them could do it alone, they need to do it together. KO said that his actions on Saturday were not for Sammy. They were to ease the pain of Owens' own family, who wanted revenge on the bloodline after Owens got his ass kicked, and so that Zayn's family did not experience the same thing that Sammy allowed Kevin's family to experience. KO said he's been fighting the bloodline alone for a long time, and he would continue doing so, that he said previously he wanted nothing to do anymore with Sammy, and he still feels that way. And then he said, if Sammy needs help taking down the bloodline, why don't you just ask your friend, Jay? Then he dropped the mic and walked out on Sammy. And then suddenly, Chris, as soon as that segment ended, the lack of hug in Montreal made even more sense than it already did on Saturday. It's not just about Sammy and KO coming back together. It's about Zayn potentially choosing KO and their friendship over Jay to also prove that he has no bloodline ties or allegiance left. Beyond that, this is just a realistic take on a storyline that has been on so many times in wrestling history. Someone wronging you for six months doesn't suddenly get forgiven just because they stopped you from being hospitalized after they watched you get your ass kicked for an extended period of time. Forgiveness takes a lot more than hitting another dude in the back with a chair and then getting your own ass kicked. Now, Sammy's promo was great. KO playing off that and explaining why Sammy is not forgiven yet. That made perfect sense. 
And it also set the stage for what's likely going to be a three or maybe four week storyline getting us to what now seems to be, I hope, the tag team title match main event that we've wanted at WrestleMania, the Usos against KO and Sammy. They may even have to go the Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose route where they beat the ever loving shit out of each other to get it out of their system before reconciling. It made a ton of sense. And clearly, as you said earlier in today's show, this was all planned from the start. I wanted them to get back together at Elimination Chamber. But if you're not, you can't do it the next night on Raw. Right. <laughs> you can't do it on the very next episode. So, uh, or two nights later. So this worked. This was good. It was a sign that, hey, there's still a lot of story to be told here. We still got to figure out the Jey Uso stuff. We're not just we're not just you and me together going for the tag team belts. There's still more to come. That's what this signaled. And the fact that now we don't have any more pay-per-views, this may be now a SmackDown only storyline the rest of the way. Possibly, you know, we don't we don't need them on Raw and SmackDown. Um, so there could be a lot of time, could be less time. But this was exactly what it needed to be. And this is how you set the table for the next few weeks of like, all right, like we're not there yet. We still got we still got to work some stuff out. The only thing I thought they missed here was I wish Sammy had the gumption in the moment to throw it back in KO's face a little bit. Like, okay, Kevin, you can be pissed at me for the last six months. I was a piece of shit. I let you get your ass kicked. I sided with people over you. I didn't listen to you. Fine. But what about the last six years where you have turned on me time and time again? You've broken my heart. You've broken our friendship. You even broke my back in NXT and nearly ended my career. If I was able to forgive you for all of that, you can forgive me for making one mistake. Like maybe that's going to come later as part of the storyline. Right. right. But that would have made a lot of sense for Sammy to say in the moment, say, hey, I'm not blame or you can blame me, but you're not blameless in this situation. That's the promo you do right before they get back together. I hope. I think because because when Kevin Owens said this to Sammy after uh, War Games, I think it was when Kevin Owens was like, look, man. I've done a lot of crap to you. I've turned in you a million times. You know, like maybe I had that coming. All right. Like I get it. I, I get it. So they have acknowledged that before in this storyline. So I, I, you're right. I think that's what you say. I think that's the thing that ultimately helps convince KO to join with Sammy. And maybe you didn't need that quite yet. I just hope they get to it. Cause that is to me an important part of the story. And you have Kevin Owens as this character who's like, who never forgets. He understands continuity. It's like really a huge part of his gimmick. Um, he doesn't let shit slide, but Sammy's involved in this and he shouldn't be letting shit slide either. It's, it's a perfect, you know, combination for them. So I do hope they get to that. And one other thing here before we move on, was it just me or did you feel like in the moment when they were in the ring together that Cody Rhodes was going to come out? Because I could have sworn Cody was going to come out, align all three of them together and say, let's all go after the bloodline and get a huge pop for all of them together. Now it was better the way they did it. Don't get me wrong. But I kind of swerved myself thinking I knew what was what was going to come next in that moment. I expected Cody when Sammy was in the ring because a week ago, Cody said to Sammy, I don't want to see you on Raw anymore. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and he yeah. opened and he opened up Raw. So I thought Cody was going to come out and be like, all right, you did your best. Papa. I don't know. So, no, I'm glad. But you're right. I'm glad we didn't get Cody. All right. So right as Raw went to commercial after the segment, Sammy was like walking backwards, but back to the stage going, going to Gorilla. He was gesturing to the crowd, whatever, when suddenly Baron Corbin attacked him from behind and beat his ass on the stage. 
Corbin was pissed at being upstaged last week when he was doing the interview backstage. They cut to Sammy in the ring, if you remember. So he talked shit about Zayn losing to Reigns and reminded that he's the last guy to pin Reigns. Then he called Sammy a failure in front of his home country. Officials tried holding Sammy back, but Adam Pierce eventually just looked at him and was like, hey, if you want to fight his ass, go for it. So they let Sammy go. Zayn runs in the ring, attacks Corbin. A referee hopped in, rang the bell. We got some good action both ways. Sammy won after a haluva kick that he kind of hit out of nowhere. And this extended segment from Sammy's entrance all the way to the end of this match was the entire first 30 minutes of Raw. I thought it was really smart booking to give Sammy a win before WWE left Canada. It was also a strong use of the picture-in-picture commercial break to keep you glued to the screen. Holy shit, something just happened. I want to see what is going to happen during the commercial break. So I actually watched the picture-in-picture where a lot of times I don't. I go to the bathroom, get a snack, whatever the case. I watched the whole break. Now, hopefully this really kicks off a change in gimmick for Corbin because he entered the ring basically the same as he was with JBL just on his own. And the prior couple of weeks, it really made me think they were going to go to bum-ass Corbin or at least another version of that gimmick. And instead, it's kind of just the same guy without JBL. Yeah, I, I think it was more it was more early Corbin where he's like where he's just like talking shit and I can do all these things. And like, he, he keeps making the point and he's right. He's the last person to pin Roman Reigns. Like, mm-hmm. I'm glad they keep saying that. Was that, that the that, dog storyline? <laughs> it it might've been, I don't know exactly <laughs> what that was, but uh, you're right. The attack happened with picture in picture. So like, you, yeah. you, you may have missed it if you, if you change the channel. So, I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of AEW using it all the time. Like it causes me to not change the channel so much. I, I just, I think it works. And, and so two weeks in a row on raw, they've done this uh, and it, it works and the match was good. And you're right. I'm glad they gave Sammy a win coming out of elimination chamber, leaving Canada, like a reminder of like, Oh, he's not just going to go back to being the sad guy. You know, he's, he's, he's a guy who can win wrestling matches. Right now, Cody, opened hour two of Raw after Sammy opened hour one. And he was about to speak when Paul Heyman, who was unshaven, wearing a neck brace, holding both titles, interrupted from backstage. Cody invited him out to the ring, but Paul said the Canadian healthcare system failed him and he would stay backstage. Heyman said Rhodes can't beat Reigns, but even if he does, he won't have a life as champion because the titles will consume him and he doesn't have someone like Heyman to help him stand above the entire thing. Paul then recalled Dustin Rhodes' statement that Dusty was never home mentally, even when he was home physically. And then, so, so randomly, Paul told Cody that while Roman's happily married, he, Paul, is not. So when Cody's away, Heyman's going to bang Brandy. I mean, it's basically what he said. Heyman wrapped it by explaining that's how Cody's WrestleMania dreams will actually become his nightmare. Rhodes then looked into the camera, admitting Reigns is the best champion in sports and maybe ever, except Cody said he has no choice but to finish his story. And, you know, like, look, if this were in the next portion of today's show, I would give this segment a bad. It completely fell flat. It started with not having Paul in the ring or on the stage. The crowd gets completely disengaged when you're watching a really long segment and it's a guy talking to a screen. It's okay for a Mm -hmm. two-minute segment, 90 seconds, when you're doing something really quick. But a top-of-the-hour segment like this cannot be constructed that way. Beyond that, Heyman's promo was weak. It meandered. 
It was very similar to the one he did a few months ago, if you remember, where he randomly started mentioning like conservative asshat pundits. I mean, he basically pulled a George Costanza here when he ran out of insults for Cody. Yeah? Well, I had sex with your wife. Then you get to Rhodes's retort, and it was immensely repetitive what Cody said. Having one dud segment here, six weeks out from WrestleMania, it's not the end of the world. And let's be clear, this was not indicative of a larger problem at all. But that said, Chris, there was zero intensity to this. It was the most filler of all filler segments that you could put together. And you know what? It would have been better if they did nothing at all and skipped the storyline for one show. The one positive I had is that the crowd still cheered Cody and there wasn't any booze that I could tell, despite it being in Canada two days after Chamber. You would think Cody would have gone out there trying to sell how dastardly the bloodline is by saying Sammy had Roman beat and now he knows it's going to take more than anything to just beat Reigns. You have to beat him in the ring. You have to beat him outside the ring. Something, anything. He said nothing. He just talked about his story and Paul repeated himself. It just wasn't a good segment. I mean, you laid it all out there. I I would have probably given this a bad, frankly. Right, that's what and I said, yeah. Yeah, so you, you kind of said it all there, but if you were one of those, if you're one of those people who thinks that Sammy should have won or Sammy should be in the main event of WrestleMania and that Cody Roman just is not it, this being the first thing after Elimination Chamber, you're probably believing that a lot more. It like gave like they feel. really yeah. they yeah, they really dropped the ball on that opportunity to move forward with Cody Roman now and to not have Roman there, to have Heyman via satellite or whatever was absolutely a letdown. I will say the lapel mic on the neck brace <laughs> popped me huge. It did. That was that, was that was hilarious. But man, like Heyman is like recounting all these times that Roman beat people in past pay-per-views. And I'm like, what are we doing here, man? Like, I was just like, Cody had to sit there for a long time without saying anything. And then, you know, he says this thing at the end. Also, I don't think finish your story or finish the story is a good, like, slogan for Cody to say. It made sense when Michael Cole said it Mm -hmm. because he's the announcer. But Cody saying, I need to finish my story is a little bit too, I don't know if it's meta, but it's like, no, you're not here to finish the story. You're here to tell the story. Like, the story is the story. Not finishing the story is the story. It, it, it is a little right. too it's, much. It's so. my, the end of my story has not been written. Yeah. And I'm going to yeah. write it myself at WrestleMania. Something yeah, like, like that. I, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's about me. It's about my family. It's about this. It's not about the story so i didn't like that either so yeah right it's it's about legacy more than anything else this this was a mess and we got to get roman and cody face to face as soon as possible yeah we do and and again you know i I just do agree with what i said that look it was a, a singular dud you can compartmentalize it and you can move forward it doesn't ruin what happened before with sammy and cody it certainly doesn't take away from the cody Heyman first segment that we got a couple weeks ago but they can't afford another one of these, especially next week, whether it's on SmackDown, whether it's on no. Raw. They really need to now drill down into what this feud is going to be. Reigns, Rhodes, head-to-head, face-to-face, at least talking to each other, even if it's one in the ring, one on the stage. Then they progressively get closer. I'm sure at some point they'll do a contract signing. But they really need to nail the rest of this because this was a mess. And it really just kind of felt like they're like, hey, we need to do something on this show. But we don't want to, we're not ready to give away too much. So let's just have Heyman come out and do this. 
Yeah. Even if Paul had gone on the stage and done this or gone into the ring or stood on the ring apron, anything else, it would have improved it. But there was no coming back from the content of Paul's promo, which again is only his second misstep in like the last six months. The other one being that I, what I mentioned earlier, this was just a mess. Dude, you know what I would have rather had, had happened? Cody been backstage in his suit, like on the phone with someone looking serious, trying to figure stuff out. He sees Sammy walk by. He walks over to Sammy, pulls him aside, hugs him, daps him up, pats him on the back. You can tell like there's a mutual respect and then they move forward. If they just did that, it would have been better than this segment on Monday night. Yeah, we already did Cody Paul two weeks ago. You told that story. You you, you can't really repeat that. And so this was just a time filler of a segment. So like you can't you can't follow a five star Cody Paul segment with one that you know was one star or two. You know what I mean? Like it was the, such a drastic difference when you juxtapose them from one to the next. If that one first one never happened, then you wouldn't think that you should have gotten greatness here. But we know that we can get greatness from these two. So to be that disappointed, it just made it even worse. Chris, we got a lot more to talk about. Still a few segments left here on this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Let's get to the third, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. All right, let's kick things off with something special that WWE did on Valentine's Day when they released footage from the latest, let's call it telenovela, involving the (laughs) Mysterios. Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio were going on their Valentine's Day dinner date. But it turned out that Rey Mysterio and Angie took their reservation and sat at their table. The heels threatened them, so the parents left. But later, after they had dinner, when Dom went to pay the bill, his credit card had been canceled. He was still apparently (laughs) being supported by his parents, and he was stuck needing Rhea to pay the bill, which she did. She took cash out of her bra and paid it. What I loved about this was it had a completely different tone from all the other ones they did. And all the one-off, you know, line the one-liners by Dom, Rhea Ripley kind of like rolling her eyes at the entire situation and really being almost the adult to Dominic still being a kid. I just, I freaking loved this. It was an obvious good. Oh, for sure. Good. These continue to be great every single time they deliver in a little bit of a different way. And it just, it just adds so much character to Dominic and Dominic and Rhea's relationship more than anything you could do in the ring. This is out. This is this is exactly what you use outside the ring stuff for. I know Jeremy Borash led a lot of that stuff in NXT. I don't know mm-hmm. how involved he is here, but they do a lot of the stuff in NXT too. And and that's sports entertainment right there. Yep. Loved it. Now on SmackDown footage was shown of the Rey Mysterio Santos Escobar mask exchange that we mentioned last week. Ray put over the moment he spoke about respect when Karrion Cross with Scarlet interrupted. He said he used to want to be a father until he saw the way Dominic is disgusted with Ray. He called Ray a pathetic excuse for a father and threatened that he should do something about it. Cross has been doing his best mic work and his best character work against Mysterio in this feud. This just continued that, and I was glad they showed the mask exchange on SmackDown. So this was good as well. Yeah, it, it was a slight good. I thought it was a little 
strange for Cross to say in front of Scarlet. I don't think I want to have kids anymore, <laughs> like that. but, uh, uh, but, but overall it, it, it made sense. It moved it forward. So it was good on raw. We had Rhea and Dom sit down for an interview. I think it was with Byron Saxton. Ripley said she had unfinished business with Beth Phoenix. And even though Beth put her over after the match, she may not be done with her long-term, but she said she is now focused on WrestleMania. Ripley said Charlotte Flair is living in the past because she doesn't want to recognize Ripley's dominance in the present. Dom had a couple great lines here as well, and he said he would join Rhea on SmackDown to see what his dad's up to this Friday. It wasn't much to evaluate from a talking segment, but it was good to get Ripley on Raw immediately after Elimination Chamber, and she did a fine job setting the stage for SmackDown, so I'm giving it a good here as well. Yeah, an- another like good. There's not a ton Rhea can say yet. You kind of got to get her face to face with Charlotte to kind of talk about it as opposed to explaining why to Byron Saxton, why she's so great or something like that. So. Um, uh, having Dominic there, like Dominic is going to be such an interesting part of this storyline for the next few weeks. Like he can do his Dominic stuff. I mean, he can do his Ray stuff. Do we get uh, maybe Ray and Charlotte versus Dominic Rhea at some point leading up to this possibly? So uh, there's a lot of different ways they can go. And it's, it's, it's good. Ray Mysterio and Charlotte Flair is a tag team that I would never have conceptualized in my entire life, but there's like some level of interest in that actually happening here as a little prelude to WrestleMania. And you're right, Dom, Dom's involved in like two stories, kind of. I mean, we'll see how much of a role he actually has in Flair Ripley. Maybe they separate that to let Rhea like shine on her own a little bit. Uh, but he may be involved in that. And of course, he's in the story with his father. So you're right. That's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next six weeks. On Raw, we had Asuka against Nikki Cross. Bianca Belair entered immediately at the bell. Asuka hit a great avalanche DDT. Then she countered the swinging neckbreaker into the butterfly armbar rings of Saturn for the submission win. She stretched Nikki's fingers and also rotated her shoulder in its socket while she was doing the submission, which I don't know if people caught that, but I thought it was such a cool way to make it look even more devastating than it already was. Now, the mania opponents went face-to-face in the ring with a double sign point that was a little bit corny after the bell when suddenly Asuka, like, began throwing up. She spit up blue goo and laughed in Bianca's face. Belair sold it, being legitimately freaked out and disturbed by the entire thing. But was most disappointing, and again, this goes back to what I said earlier, the Ottawa crowd was not into this match at all. I was surprised by that. But there was nothing wrong with it. I am curious to see how they build Belair and Asuka with so much time left. Obviously, there is the language barrier for Asuka when it comes to building a WrestleMania match, but... She's overcome it before. I'm sure they'll overcome it again. This was good pretty much by default. Yeah, another kind of like light good. I didn't love the end with Asuka spitting up the blue goo, which I know she she did a couple weeks ago too, but it was just like, it's just weird. Like, they, I don't know if they they haven't quite figured out what the Asuka-Bianca dynamic is going to be, what the story is. Is is Bianca going to be like frightened by Asuka? Like that could work. Or, it seems or is it going to be, yeah. or, or is it going to like, I don't know. I don't, I'm trying to remember. Has Asuka said anything since she returned or has she been silent? She did. She cut a promo backstage wearing like a gold suit. Um, a few okay, weeks ago. that's right. That's right. That's right. So I'm like, I'm just, I'm, st- I'm not quite sure yet exactly what the story they're going to tell here is. Um, Bianca's hair also looked longer than ever. Like if she wasn't holding it up, it probably would have been dragging on the ground. <laughs> I don't know if it was just a special part that she had in or what, but it just jumped out to me. Like her hair was longer and 
I'm okay. pretty sure the braid's an extension, so maybe it's the way. Yeah, they yeah, her, yeah. She's not real life Rapunzel. <laughs> right uh, now, Carmella backstage promised a receipt for Oscar. Later, Adam Pierce was shown granting Mel the match, and he gave it to her. This was really good storytelling because he was pleasantly surprised the way she approached him about it. She was a good customer. Just then, he received a call from Chelsea Green, the bad customer, the Karen, who got sent to the wrong Ottawa. I think she got sent to, what was it, Ottawa, Illinois or something instead of Canada. So she was ranting on the phone. Where's my luggage? You sent me to the wrong city, blah, blah, blah. So Pierce hung up on her. It was a nice promo from Carmella. And I just loved the continuation of these two storylines from last week and, and Chelsea getting set to the wrong city. That is so damn funny. This was good. Yep, that was that was good as well. Also, I wanted to maybe issue a correction. Bianca has said, Bianca Belair has said her hair is real. I can't quite sure people seem to think it's not but she says it is i don't well, know if that's the vast majority what, of it is but i believe the braid is an extension added to her real hair right i, I just i wanted to clarify that i haven't found it a, a for sure confirmation on that right uh candice LeRae backstage said johnny gargano got banged up inside the chamber when she saw nikki walk out of the corner of her eye like backstage she demanded Cross tell her why she's been stalking her because she doesn't want it on her mind ahead of her match next week against Piper Niven. Nikki whispered something into her ear that we couldn't hear. So she was asked what Nikki said and Candace revealed that Cross said all of her friends are gone and she's just alone. Candace kind of seems spooked by the entire thing. It's simple storytelling. But what I like, Chris, and the reason I'm giving this is good. It's nice how many low card storylines there are that are ongoing, they're getting addressed weekly. Sometimes it's a 30-second backstage segment. Sometimes it's a match in the ring, which we saw a little bit later we'll talk about. But these people who otherwise, back in the day, would just not be used if they're not involved in a main storyline, we're still seeing them on TV. And what that allows is when they want to push Candace or when they want to push Nikki or Mustafa Ali or whoever, they're familiar to the viewer. They're not doing it out of nowhere. I thought it was a breath of fresh air. I gave it a good. And now I wonder... What they're going to do with this is Candace potentially going to team with Nikki and be her friend. Are they maybe going to bring sanity back and give Nikki some of her old friends? I'm intrigued from a very simple backstage segment and a very simple storyline. Yeah, it was interesting. Like, like they teased us for a few weeks and then we got a reason. And the reason was like, oh, man, like I kind of feel bad for her. And it's it's mostly true. Like sanity's gone. Her husband, Killian Dane, is not in, in the company uh, anymore. Um, she split from Piper, their partnership. Piper split kind of now Alexa bliss was her friend, but she turned her back on her thing. Yeah. yeah. So like, but she's still there. So I like, but like, it was mostly true. So I was like, Oh, that's like, that's, that's, that is like as deep of character development as you can <laughs> like add to anybody in pro wrestling, just by saying that, just be like, all my friends are gone and I'm kind of sad and, uh, about it. And it makes me, just kind of stalky or something like that. Like, I don't know. That was really interesting. Well, she was looking for a friend. She's hoping that maybe Candace yeah. would like take to her or something. So it's, it's my, again, it's a really a light storyline, but it just kind of worked for me. I, I was very surprised how, um, mm -hmm. how bullish I was about it. So that's that. Now let's go to something. Maybe we feel a little different about Bailey hosted ding dong. Hello with damage control. This opened hour three. She put them over as the greatest women's tag team champions in the company history. Not true. With Dakota Kai promising their dominance would continue. So Becky Lynch interrupted. She pointed out the titles are pretty dusty because they haven't been defended in a long time. That is true. Becky said she wanted to change that and walk into mania 
as one half of the women's tag team champions. So Bailey's like, who the hell is going to be your partner? You don't have any friends, which was such an odd thing to say because we literally saw Lita come to Becky's aid in their cage match in Orlando a couple of weeks ago. So Lita came out. At that point, I howled because Bailey, when they were walking into the ring, she demanded they enter through the ding dong hello door. I love that yeah. gimmick that she demands that. And I thought that was really funny. But after that, she called Becky desperate for bringing Lita back, pointing out they were rivals a year ago. Becky said they made amends. Lita made the challenge official. Bailey said they didn't deserve it, which they don't. So Becky ran down all their credentials and said, hey, you know, we've done everything in this industry. You guys are just scared of us. And that, of course, led Bailey to accept. The faces then physically ripped the titles off the heels. And the heels didn't do anything. They didn't try to get them back. They didn't steal them back. They didn't push them, fight them, anything. So the faces threw the straps back at the heels and left out of the ring. And Chris, I got to tell you, it is so difficult for me to give a segment with Becky freaking Lynch, Lita, Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Sky, so many of my favorite women's wrestlers, something other than good, but I have to. This was bad. It fell completely flat. Damage control, the, the tag team, looked like absolute dorks, letting their titles get stolen, not trying to get them back. And beyond all of that, there is zero clarity to how this builds to Mania in a sensible way. Are we getting another Becky Bailey singles match with damage control, defending their titles against a team that maybe looks to be getting built on SmackDown? If so, then why are you building it this way? Is Lita going to wrestle two or three matches or just one on Raw? What's going to happen with Becky Lynch? Are they going to do a six-woman tag team match with another person joining Becky and Lita? If so, are the women's tag team titles not going to get defended? The direction of all of this is immensely confusing. But even beyond that, this segment had absolutely no juice. I, I'm torn because I actually did like it a lot until the end, until they took the titles and held them up and nothing happened. It was just a very, very flat ending. Bailey with Ding Dong Hello is her absolute best. This is so much better than delivering a normal promo in the ring or doing whatever. She just plays with that whole thing extremely well. So I, I, I liked that. The Lita, Lita coming out, and it is weird. We're like, we're going to challenge for a tag team championship match next week, you know, in, instead of like WrestleMania a few weeks away. It is just naturally kind of weird. My expectation is you don't want to, you don't want to do it all at once. So you do the tag team match next week. Bailey interferes cost them the match Trish Stratus comes out and at some point and then you do a six woman tag at mania like that that's that's what I'm thinking so the titles don't get defended at mania then correct correct which certainly if, if, if that's not if that's what happens and it doesn't get defended totally fair thing to complain about but um they've never really figured out what to do with the women's tag team belts pretty much ever since they made which, them which is such a frustration <laughs> and i'm sorry to interrupt because it's and, so now, and now and, and now sasha banks is the champion in njpw because of it right it, it's such a frustration because you have women you have a lot of women who are not competing for the main title pair them up give them reasons to be to team which to wwe's credit they actually have a little bit you know Liv and raquel that came together we have ronda rousey and Shayna baszler that we're about to talk about but there's others that are very clearly you know, perfect for each other, like Tegan Knox and Shotzi. We haven't seen Tegan Knox in what feels like months after she <laughs> returned. And that was such a, supposed to be such a big deal. So there's tag teams they can make and they can make a division. 
And you don't even need to give them that much TV time. You just need like one match a week combined on both shows, like one segment and one match to develop teams and, and make them legitimate. And you have the titles go back and forth between Raw, SmackDown, and NXT like they were originally supposed to. There's no reason for there to be separate NXT women's tag team champions. We've talked about this plenty of times. But I don't see a way that they go into WrestleMania and don't have a women's tag team match despite what you're saying. Yeah, you're right. Becky Lynch, Lita, and if Trish Stratus came in, why she wouldn't show up in Canada and get a pop? I don't know um, if they were going to do that. But if that is the six-woman tag team match, that's a big match. And there's a lot of mm-hmm. name value, uh, high-quality wrestling we're going to get. That would be very, very interesting. But it takes the titles off the show, and it doesn't give anything for the next women we're about to talk about to do. And that is where I get so confused. So let's move to that next segment, Chris. On SmackDown, we had Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler against Natalia and Shotzi. The heels came out with their black belts and geese. Shotzi murked Rousey with a tope suicida and then wiped out the heels with a flying crossbody outside. Much later, she jumped off the top rope for a spike DDT on Rousey into the ring apron. If you remember, that was the move that they tried to execute and Rousey failed on it previously. They nailed it here. It was great. Rousey actually got you can't wrestle chance during this, which was the wrong time to do it because she was really good all match. Ronda was she sold that DDT like death. Natty caught Shayna out of the corner with a running Liger bomb and a discus lariat. Then she had Rousey on the verge of submitting in the sharpshooter only for Baszler to trip her and throw her into the steel steps during a heart attack attempt. Rousey then forced Shotzi to tap out with the arm bar. And all of this happened inside of 12 minutes. Chris, you should have seen the absolute shock on my face watching this match. It went twice as long as I thought. The faces basically dominated offensively. Shotzi was the MVP of the entire thing. She did a tiger suplex and a cattle mutilation during this match. And we got the right winners with Rousey and Baszler, of course. Plus, Rousey looked the best that she has wrestling in quite some time. So yeah, do I wish Shotzi didn't take the fall? Of course. But it was a far better match and result than I anticipated. And it was another reminder that Shotzi should have been in that chamber match, probably in place of Nikki Cross, based on how everything played out. So this wasn't just good. This was really freaking good. And one of my biggest surprises on WWE TV this week, in fact, maybe my biggest surprise on WWE TV this week. Yep, a definite step forward without a doubt. And it kind of made you feel like, hey, Ronda and, and Shayna should win the tag team belts and do something with right. it. I don't know how I don't know how they win it before Mania or something like that or or, or what if you're if we do the six woman tag I talked about. But I like them as a team. They look good. And it's like, all right, like maybe we can do something here out of this. Well, that's what I was getting to. So if the women's tag team titles are not going to be defended at WrestleMania, then what are you building Rousey and Baszler up together as a team for? They would make the most sense as women's tag team champions. Now, Chris, what they could do, and you just said it, and I got to tell you, I didn't even think of this possibility because in my head, it's always is why would you change a title before the biggest show of the year? But to your point, they can get past Becky and Lita next week with a DQ, whatever the case, Ronda and Baszler call them out. Adam Pierce makes a title match on SmackDown. Damage Control loses the titles. Now you have Ronda and Shayna taking the titles into WrestleMania. They face another team, let's say Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez, which, by the way, would probably be a pretty damn good match. And then you do the six-woman tag, Damage Control against Becky, Lita, and maybe Trish or another third woman, and you have two big women's matches added to the show. Yep. 
I think that's or, or, you know, maybe you do it on the SmackDown before WrestleMania. Sometimes they like to do that. The Intercontinental belt or something like that. That's a possibility as well. But if, if it's Ronda Rousey, you're putting her on WrestleMania. I agree. I agree. I just I think it's on the table. Yeah. But that's why I'm so confused about this, because it's like, how do you put all of those pieces together? I think that way that we just laid it out and it was really you who spurned that on. That would make a lot of sense. Take the titles off damage control before Mania. That frees them up to do something with Bailey and Becky, and it gives the women's tag team titles an opportunity to have their own match on the card. That would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move over to the men. We had a United States Championship Open Challenge, Austin Theory against Edge. Now, this all happened during the Elimination Chamber press conference. And what I appreciated, I, I, I hate when open challenges aren't actually open, right? Um. AEW does this all the time. They will book a title match for TV and they'll just say, well, it's an open challenge that this person accepted. But they actually saw the challenge be open. They are WWE allowed us to see the challenge be open and accepted if you were watching the press conference, which, by the way, for the future, gives you more reason to watch the press conferences as a viewer, as a fan. So I appreciated that. In the moment on Raw, a Theory backstage talked about putting Seth Rollins down only for Monday's headlines to be all about John Cena who was announced he will be appearing on Raw in two weeks. I believe it's March 6th. Uh, I believe in like Boston or Foxborough or somewhere in Massachusetts. It was a good promo from Theory. It both set up the Edge match and the Cena feud, which is now more obvious than ever. Edge later cut a great promo being excited for getting the title match, not having competed in Ottawa for 18 years before saying, never say never. So we get into the match. Edge hit a weird flying crossbody to Theory's back, but he made a huge highlight countering Theory's rolling dropkick into a perfect Liger bomb. Edge then cleanly flipped out of the corner and locked in a crossface, but Theory found the ropes. The referee then caught Theory cheating with the ropes. Edge countered A-Town down with Education for a 2.9, and just as Edge was setting up for a spear, as expected, Finn Balor ran down to distract. Edge seemed to get past it, but Balor caught him with a kick before Theory hit A-Town down for the title retention. Balor continued beating on Edge, hitting not one, not two, but three coup de gras in succession while telling him it was just the beginning as Raw went off the air. Now, the Ottawa crowd, I've said it already twice today, was total shit for this match. They got a WWE Hall of Famer and a countryman in the main event, and they couldn't be bothered to cheer for the near falls or the big spots in the match. They were electric for his entrance, and then just nothing for the rest. Separating the crowd from the content and booking, this was good. It offered a really fun main event. It gave Theory another legitimate win, where not a legitimate win, but a win over a legend who is legitimate. And it continued the Balor-Edge feud for a blow-off match at WrestleMania that we've been expecting. In front of a good crowd, it would have been hot, but it was still good. Going back to the beginning of this, Theory's promo was really good. Mm-hmm. It was a reminder that he's just, he's really, really solid on the mic, and I don't think it's enough credit for that. His beard... <laughs> it's kind of looking bad. It, yeah. It's very messy and uneven and stringy. Maybe that's the point because he's a heel, but I think you need to tighten that up a bit, especially if you can't fully grow it in every spot. Um, Edge's promo I really liked. Uh, basically, like, look, I've accomplished almost everything there is in this business, but I haven't won a title in a really long time. And, like, I really want to do that. So, like, that got me, like, totally on board with it, too. The match was okay. There were good spots here and there. Um. Kind of goes back to what I said before about just like, you know, Edge is not, you know, legendary worker type of guy. He's more about moments and, and stuff like that. Um, and there were a couple of moments in this match that were good. You got the expected finish. And 
yeah, it was fine. It was good. Would you like to see Edge win a title before he retires? Yes. Me too. I'd like to I see still, him win the I, US or IC or something. I think back to 2021 when he won the Rumble and he goes into and he you know has the triple threat main event with Roman and Daniel Bryan. And I always wonder what the original plan was and if it changed and, and, and stuff like that. Because it was it was it was interesting to have Hedge win a Rumble, but I don't know. It, it it felt like ever since he came back at Rumble 2020, there was supposed to be a moment where he won the WWE title, mm-hmm. and it just never really made sense and never happened. So whether it's a US title or something else, a tag team title, I don't know. But I'd like to like I would like this final run for him to be stamped with some sort of title. I'd like a title run. I would also like and. and Edge has been plagued by this since his entire return. Every feud he's in lasts like six months and mm-hmm. has three or four matches. And I know one of them was due to injury, of course, but man, like, like they, for this final run, let's, let's make believe he has eight months left or something like that. Um, this final eight months should be like four different feuds and a title win at some point. And maybe the last one, when he puts someone over, goes out on his back, they take the title off of him. IC title, US. That would be a really good way, I think, to have him leave and, you know, leave the territory, I guess, is what I was trying to say. Yep. I mean, I said when he came back, I was like, I don't want long feuds. I just want him doing matches with random people. Do the Daniel Bryan thing. Like, I just, let's do Edge versus uh, some person he's never wrestled before, like every other. Give me like Edge Johnny Gargano. Like, just give me matches. Yeah. 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 That's, a, that's, a, that's what I want. We don't need, we don't need a, drawn out stuff with him all right so let's move uh staying with raw uh, seth rollins and the miz had a scheduled match now backstage maurice was back in wwe wearing her black sequined suit which just look good but she's got me saying hey now she handed miz his anniversary gift which excited him and he said it made his dreams come true but he wouldn't announce it until later in the show Rollins later was incensed about Logan Paul twice ruining his WrestleMania plans. He promised to find him and hurt him soon while taking his anger out on Miz in the meantime. There's also a minor storyline thread here about Miz bringing Logan into WWE and that type of deal. It was a really formulaic match. Rollins hit the stomp twice. He refused to cover. So he hit a third stomp and the referee decided to call it via knockout for Rollins. This worked well because it's not just a feud. It's Logan having gotten into Seth's head and causing him to go to these extremes. That's good. The only weird bit was we never got resolution on the Mrs. Gift, but I guess yeah. we're going to get that next week or something. Yeah, I wondered that too about the Mrs. Gift because that was a good little tease. I was like, what is this? Oh, I guess we're not going to get it yet. Um, can I say that I don't like this Seth Rollins character and I haven't for a long time. I just, I don't understand what he is, what he wants, what his motivations are. The only thing, how would you define his character other than he has the song that people sing along to? I would say he's he's manic. Right. And is that a face? Like, am I I supposed to be like cheering for him or am I supposed to be just like kind of watching him work his stuff out? You know, you have to remember it started as a heel and he became a tweener. And I think he's still in that tweener role where at any time, depending who he's going against, he could be a heel and get booed. Or if he's going against a heel like he is with Logan Paul, he gets cheered. So I agree that it's a little confounding and they probably should take it 
in a different direction after WrestleMania. The whole addition of freaking to his name and them portraying him as a freak, you know, not not a freak like a mankind or a Golga or something like that, but a freak the way he acts and his mannerisms and stuff like that. It is wearing thin. Like we went from the Messiah to kind With of great this, character. And it's all kind of the same guy to some degree, but just different shades of it. And Seth Rollins is one of WWE's top two or three talents. It is now time for him to reinvent himself again. I don't know what it is that he needs to do, but maybe it's as simple as just getting serious and focusing on the championship. And that's probably that- going to become a lot easier when the titles are split and there's two main event divisions again. But you're right. Something does need to change with Seth. I don't agree, though, that I don't like the character or it's annoying or any of that. I like what he's doing. It makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate that they're taking it in a different direction. And they're actually showing that Logan and his mind games are actually affecting Seth to the degree that he's going to extremes with The Miz. I just have I just I've had a hard time for a while connecting and figuring out like what exactly his goals are and why as a or does he just want chaos like it's it's been very inconsistent and a couple weeks ago on i think instagram live seth rollins talked about logan paul like it was a work but he was like i I don't like logan paul i don't like him coming into this locker room all these kinds of things and i didn't see it until like a day or two ago and i was like oh i like this like this is what i would want to see not not like seth you know, laughing and doing all these things. Like you're fighting Logan Paul, man. He's the heel. You're the face. Like we, we, we got to like connect here. So you, we want you to be the crap out of Logan Paul because he's a jerk and he's annoying. But if you're both annoying, then it's just, it's weird to me. And it's just the, the song thing. I didn't like the song change, but people love it. I get it. But he's got to figure, we got to figure out exactly what Seth is here. And I think the Logan Paul feud is the exact opportunity to do that, and I hope they can do it moving forward. It is, and you're spot on that what Rollins did during uh, Super Bowl week at Radio Row and all the podcasts he was on, all the radio shows he was on that asked him about Logan Paul, where he's like, he doesn't belong in this industry. He's only here to make money and a name for himself. He doesn't care about the actual business. That should be the storyline. You're a thousand percent correct. And that's going to engender a lot of uh, babyface love from the crowd for Seth, which they already love him, but even more heel heat for Logan Paul. They need to tell that storyline on TV. You are 100% correct. Uh, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus fought the Viking Raiders on SmackDown. Sheamus took Ivar off the ropes with an impressive rolling senton slam. Eric then countered Bro Kick into a powerbomb. McIntyre hit his huge tope after a failed Claymore. Bahala distracted Drew during a blind tag with the Raiders landing an avalanche world's strongest slam for a broken fall. McIntyre then kicked out at 2.8 after a huge splash by Ivar. Sheamus prevented Ragnarok with a bro kick, and McIntyre hit Eric with Claymore for the win. Well, this was definitely a banger type of match. Let's get that out of the way. And we definitely got what we wanted to see. <laughs> Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> That's for me personally, it felt like the wrong winners and commentary put over the victory as coming at the right time for McIntyre and Sheamus with WrestleMania season approaching. In the moment, Chris, I took that to indicate they, not Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, may actually be the tag team title challengers. Now, 
perhaps it was just Michael Cole putting them over in general as two individuals who are currently having a lot of success at WrestleMania time. But it came across to me like he was addressing them as a tag team. So even though it was a good match, it was the first of two segments on SmackDown that in the moment, I mentioned this earlier, took the wind out of my sails a little bit when it came to the WrestleMania build. It seemed to me like it gave away the chamber results and WrestleMania plans all at once. Now, that may have been an overreaction Friday night, but Chris, this is one of those things I texted you about, and I'm wondering if you thought the same thing. Yes, because I don't think you have the Banger Bros win this match if they're not going to be a tag team moving forward. I was like, they've done a great job slowly rebuilding the Viking Raiders to this point, and I, I went into this match thinking, oh, like, th- like they can beat Sheamus and McIntyre. That'll solidify them, you know, to to fight the champions post Usos or something like that. And like they'll be set. But instead we're continuing Seamus McIntyre. And I was like, I don't, I, this feels like they're not going to break up then. So I, I don't know. And you're right. I had the same of like, I'm worried they're going to be going for the tag team tiles at mania. Right now coming out of chamber and seeing what happened with Sammy and KO on Monday. Do you still feel that way? Or do you think what we originally believed would be happening, Usos against Sammy and KO, will be the match? Because I got to tell you now, I'm not sure. Like this really murked up the entire thing. I still think it's most likely Sammy and KO because we still have to work out the Jay story. And I don't see how Sammy and Kevin Owens together, as Sammy said, take down the bloodline any other way. Right. You would think it has to be against them unless they're playing spoiler and like they're going to interfere in all their matches. That way, Drew and Sheamus win the titles and Cody wins the title. Yeah, like so I like I I don't want it to be a triple threat tag team. I, I no, don't I don't know. It like, I, it's still, I, I still think there is still a chance that Sheamus and McIntyre are there, but I still believe it is more likely it's Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. I'm directly in line with you on that. Okay, so let's move to the other segment that, again, kind of threw me for a loop on Friday. Hit Row were doing an absolute trash job rapping in the ring when Bray Wyatt's cymbal flashed and his music played, the lights went out and back on with Wyatt standing in a black mask on one side of the ring and Uncle Howdy standing on the other. The entire TV muted for 30 seconds. I presume there were holy shit chants in the arena, so at least fans reacted to it. That's good. They went inside with Bray taking Top Dollar out with a mandible claw and then pushing him over the top rope. Then he threw Ashanti to Howdy for Sister Abigail. Bray on the mic said, you're welcome, Montreal. Wyatt said he's in control of himself and his family. Then he challenged the winner of Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley, saying that person should run. And dude, when this segment ended, I sat there shaking my head. It started well enough, a way to get Wyatt and Howdy some action and mic time so the story could advance. It actually seemed to establish them as team or partners where maybe they would end up doing a tag team match at the show. And then out of nowhere, Wyatt challenges the Lesnar-Lashley winner without a single shred of reasoning. It was so out of left field. I actually had to pause and make sure I heard it correctly. And to me, once he did that, it completely gave away that Lashley would win that match which he ultimately did one day later, because if they do go through with this, there's no way they were going to do Bray Wyatt against Brock Lesnar. So they seem to tell us before Chamber that we weren't getting the Lesnar-Lashley blow off. Then we get to the finish at Chamber 
making the entire situation murky. Then Monday on Raw, MVP calls out Lesnar for being a coward, issuing a WrestleMania challenge for him against Omos and daring Lesnar to make his decision next week. And then later in the show, Elias in the ring told Rick Boogs to take notes backstage so he could see what it takes to be a star. That was actually funny, seeing Boogs take notes. But then Elias issued a WrestleMania challenge. When Lashley answered, he destroyed Elias with an almighty spinebuster, a helicopter into the post, a spear, and a hurt lock. And Lashley said, neither Lesnar, nor Wyatt, nor Elias, nor anyone will break the hurt lock, and he will put down anyone who disrespects him. So Chris, okay, all together, maybe somehow this is a huge swerve. I don't see why they would book a swerve like this if we were ultimately going to get Lesnar-Lashley again. But if it ends up being a swerve, it may make sense in the end. For now, though, the booking tells us that we're getting Bobby Lashley-Bray Wyatt without a shred of storyline in something created totally out of thin air, and Brock Lesnar-Omas, which makes sense in storyline, but is a massive waste of Brock's star power given all the other opponents out there for him. Look, four big men slapping meat usually equals excitement. Four big men slapping meat equals excitement. And I'm not saying these matches will automatically be bad if they take place. Lesnar Omas would probably end up being a spectacle. But I have to give this whole thing a double dose of bad at this juncture. I have no other choice because I just have no idea what they're doing or why they're doing it. Come on, this is, it's a joke, right? It's a joke, Goose. You ripping me? I, I was like, I was so confounded by all of this. And again, not because it's not what we predicted or not what we wanted, but because so much of it made very little sense. By the way, you didn't, I don't know if you mentioned or you just barely mentioned Uncle Howdy, like, just hanging out with Bray Wyatt in the ring now, right. like yeah, without without his hat and <laughs> what was that all about? <laughs> well, he said, um, Bray said he's like I've I have, I'm in control of myself. I'm in control of my family. It's like but, why? How? Why? What? Yeah. What? Like what? <laughs> Remember last week? We like all we got was I think it was Uncle Howdy putting his hand on Bray's shoulder while he was watching TV. What did yeah, be like, Howdy in control of Bray? Like it's just. I'd, Look, I've been shitting on the Bray Wyatt thing basically a week after he came back, and I'm still completely confounded by it. It makes zero sense with zero explanation on any of it. I would be interested in Bray Wyatt versus Brock Lesnar. Like when this when when Bray first announced that, I was like, oh, so we're not going to get Brock Bobby again. That sucks. But you know what? Maybe we get maybe we get Brock Lesnar in a Firefly Funhouse match, and we go just like off the wall and do something totally crazy for Brock. That would be super cool. I actually think that would be cool. But then you have the Omas stuff. You have Lashley winning the match. And I'm just like, I don't know what any of this is. If we do Omas, Brock, and Lashley Wyatt, I'm just not going to care. Those, If, if we have Bray Wyatt, Bobby Lashley promo segments, those are going to be horrible. Like, what is that going to be? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. So like it like, does seem, Chris, I, you know, let's just let's just before you continue, right? Let's like try to be realistic. And, and yeah, it seems like the Omas deal could be a distraction. So Lesnar well, gets there. He accepts. Lashley attacks him. Her business reforms, beats him up. Now you have yes. Lashley against Lesnar and it's a stipulation and whatever. But 
in in a cage or a fight pit or Perfectly. whatever. Exactly the things you said but, before. But, I, I, I that's that's exactly what I was going to say. Even next. If, that is a possibility. But even if they swerve us, and that's what they're doing with them, then why did Bray Wyatt call out the winner of that match? What is the purpose right. of that? Right, and they did not address it on Elimination Chamber during the match. No, but then Bobby brought it back up on Raw. So I don't know. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Did you have anything else to say? I just wanted to point that out. No, yeah, that was it. I'm just bizarre and like just very strange. All right. Uh, we had an intercontinental championship match, Gunther against Madcap Moss. Emma built up Moss backstage uh, and he said he was a true superstar that came from Emma and he said he believed it. Gunther later put over his dominance. Moss did a nice reverse vertical suplex before Gunther kicked out of the punchline swinging neckbreaker, which had been Moss's finisher. Wade Barrett did a really good job selling that. Michael Cole just completely missed it. We talked about Cole being off a little bit at Elimination Chamber with moves. He was also off in this match. Moss then hit a great avalanche fallaway slam. Eventually, Gunther, somewhat out of nowhere, rolled Moss into a powerbomb and retained the title. Now, I give credit to Gunther for selling and making Moss look really good in what was a WWE version of a strong style type of match, a lot of power offense. There was never any believability that Moss could actually win, but I loved the suddenness of the finish with the powerbomb. Obviously, Gunther has been using his new finisher, I think Last Symphony, a lot recently. So to see him beat someone who is not really at his level with his old finisher, the powerbomb, one of his old finishers, was great. Moss was elevated by facing Gunther in the match and top to bottom. I thought it was good. Yeah, it was fine. It was good. I, I know we had concerns and questions about Moss winning the number one contender match, but you know, it all worked out. No harm, no foul. Everybody got a little bit better. It worked. I also want to give bonus points for the gimmick that they're doing with Moss becoming that person, like in your friend group who <laughs> gets a girlfriend or a boyfriend only to suddenly do whatever that person kind of says, agree with their opinions, and become the type of person that they want you to be rather than the type of person that you are. The interplay between Moss and Emma was really entertaining, and there was a digital video that continued the gimmick. So I do suggest finding that, whether on YouTube or WWE's Twitter account. Uh, we've seen the trite, like, controlling woman gimmick before. This is a way more natural and realistic way of doing it, and I'm not sure if you picked any of that up or if you saw that video, but I really like what they're doing here. I did not see it, but but I have enjoyed the two of them together. Let's just get rid of the name Madcap, and hopefully she's the one who changes that. It's fine. On Raw, we had Chad Gable against Bronson Reed. Gable and Otis were posing in a mirror backstage when Reed walked up disappointed that that was how they were preparing for a match. It was a fine confrontation. Gable knocked Reed off his feet a couple times and hit a diving headbutt for a one count. Gable then hit a great German suplex bridge that got an audible gasp from the crowd, and it deserved it because it was quite a sight to see. Maxine Dupree appeared ringside to scout Otis, which distracted Gable. He ate a ripcord power slam and a tsunami. Again, crazy reaction from the crowd seeing the tsunami with Bronson getting the win. It was a good piece of business. Gable didn't get squashed and he took an excused loss via distraction. He once again looked super, super impressive. And once WrestleMania passes, I would love to see him in the U.S. title scene. Yeah, I mean, it's been the case for a number of weeks now, but Gable slash Gable and Otis are in the spot of, you know, lose every week for the sake of a story. And, you know, that's OK. You know, as long as they as long as, you know, you're, you're using them in good ways and they are. They're doing backstage segments together. Gable get, gets to put on some good moves and matches like this is how you keep a guy interesting, even if you're his, his whole purpose is is to lose. So this worked. Everybody looked good. 
continue to be interested by the Otis side of this. And uh, yeah, good step forward. We had Mustafa Ali against Dolph Ziggler. We saw a backstage segment from last week that set up this match. Ali ate a spike DDT, but impressively countered the Famouser with a handstand and then beat Ziggler with a crucifix pinning combination. Ali then sarcastically grabbed and shook Ziggler's hand because he wouldn't shake it previously before cheering in his face for 30 seconds sarcastically. I continue to like what they're doing here for a low-card feud. My only negative is I wish the match was a little bit longer so we could see them work and they could whet our appetite for a longer match between them. But in terms of what we got coming out of last week's storyline, I thought it was good enough. But I did not care about this whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't care about this Mustafa Ali stuff for whatever reason. That's fine. And like, look, the match was fine. I liked the finish. It was creative. Um, Mustafa Ali running around kind of being sarcastic about how I won, I won, I won was kind of annoying, even though I know that was kind of the, the, the point of the story. It was good. Like, it wasn't bad. I was just like, I don't really care about this. <laughs> it's just what it is. Fair enough. Now, to my delight, we'll wrap up uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly on this. The WrestleMania Goes Hollywood vignettes returned at Elimination Chamber, and you were right that they would come back a couple weeks ago when I was really concerned. They just kept pushing the old ones and weren't going to do any new ones. Well, they did new ones. The first was basically Joker with Seth Rollins in that role and Becky Lynch as Batman, even though Batman wasn't in that film. But what impressed me was the way WWE struck the perfect tonal balance like they did with the old ones, where it's a good recreation, but there's a bit of comedy and a lot of corniness. And for me, that made this an easy good. Yes, and they they hinted at more to come. I I saw the Titanic with Montez Ford and Bianca. That one came to mind. I can't wait for that one. That's going to be great. I'm I'm looking forward to to more of these for sure. I hope they do opposite roles where it's, um, you know, Bianca being like, or sorry, it's Montez being like, paint me as one of your men or something like that. Like just flip the script (laughs) on it. That'd be pretty cool if they did that. Now that was the end of the third segment on today's show. Let's move to the next one, which is booking the damn territory for WrestleMania 39. We're not going to do this like we normally do where we give you our cards and try to do everything because guess what? What do we just talk about? Some things seem pretty obvious and there's a lot of things that are so murky right now that it's confusing what WWE is doing, Chris. So I split this up into four different categories, matches that are booked, matches that are basically booked, matches that are likely, and then those that are to be determined. So the matches that are booked for WrestleMania 39 the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns against Cody Rhodes, the SmackDown Women's Championship, Charlotte Flair against Royal Rumble winner Rhea Ripley. Obviously, Cody also won the Royal Rumble. And the Raw Women's Championship match, Bianca Belair against Asuka, winner from the Elimination Chamber. Looking at these three matches right here, early on, and maybe it changes before we get to our ultimate preview of WrestleMania 39 six weeks from now, I think we should have three title changes in these matches. Do you agree? Those three being the Undisputed Universal and both women's titles? Mm -hmm. Yes, agree. Title changes on all of them. Now, in a little bit of booking the damn territory, I got to tell you, Chris, if I had the pen, I would have flipped the challengers in the women's matches. I think Mm -hmm. they should have done Bel Air and Ripley and Flair and Asuka. It could be the first in a long Ripley-Belair rivalry, which obviously is going to last for a couple of years now. And Asuka could get her title win back over Flair, which is an equal story 
to what Flair is doing with Ripley. It's pretty much the exact same story. I think yep. both matches would have been better in ring if they did it this way, Belair, Ripley, and Flair, Asuka. I also think they would have been more interesting from a storytelling perspective. And when you add the women's tag team booking that we're t- we already talked about, it feels like the right women are going to be involved in Mania. I just don't necessarily know if they're going to be in the right matches. I'm wondering what you think right. that take. It's very clear they feel like, all right, for Rhea Ripley to fully be established, she has to beat Charlotte. Like, that's that's the standard for WWE, the yeah. high bar. So they feel like you need to do that instead of... Because remember, they fought WrestleMania in 2020, Charlotte Flair won. The next year, Rhea won the title at Mania, beating Asuka, because Charlotte had COVID. I think it couldn't be in that match, and something changed. And, and, and so... But that Rhea never clicked. She won the title. It never really worked, we felt, for her. And then Mm -hmm. she ended up losing it at some point later. So they feel like, all right, we're going to like read. We're kind of redoing this. Rhea's going to beat Charlotte. That's going to be her her WrestleMania moment now. When I feel like we don't need that. I feel like giving us Rhea Bianca as like, hey, these are the these are the new and future stars of our women's division would have been more valuable. And Charlotte versus Asuka was an amazing match. By the way, I talked to, I interviewed Charlotte on Sunday for something and I asked her what was, what, what's her favorite moment of her career? She said the Oscar match at WrestleMania 32. Mm. And so like that, that was, um, that was an awesome match. You and I were separately both in attendance for it. I agree. I feel like if you flip these challengers, you could have more interesting stories while also like talking about the future as opposed to like, Re- it's kind of like re-establishing Asuka and kind of re-establishing Rhea Ripley. Well, so no, you, you make a good point. Like, So I think we agree that those matches that I mentioned would be more exciting. But mm-hmm. Ripley over Flair does establish her more than beating Belair. Mm-hmm. And Asuka beating Belair is an excuse, a legitimate excuse, to get the title off Bianca where there's only a finite number of women that she could drop the title to where it would really make sense where you could say, okay, that wasn't a bad loss because they want to keep her so strong. So Mm -hmm. that's probably the reason they're doing it. But in order for that to be the truth, both titles have to change hands. And we're not going to know about that until we get to WrestleMania. So those are the three matches that are officially booked, Chris. Let's talk about the three that are basically booked. Seth Rollins against Logan Paul. Edge against Finn Balor, likely a stipulation. I still lean towards brood Edge against Demon King Balor. and then at least it seems to be, United States Championship, Austin Theory against John Cena. Now, I have something I want to talk about with that match. Is there anything you want to say about the first two that I just mentioned? No, I agree. I think we all know they're they're coming. All right. Now, with Theory, I got to thinking about this a little bit because I pointed out last week how it would be quite an elevation to have him win the chamber and then beat Cena and retain the title. Now we add the fact that he beat Edge on Raw. Granted, it wasn't clean, but he still beat Edge. Theory, I don't see a way he beats Cena clean here, which means one of two things if they do this match. Either the introduction of a heavy for Theory, someone who comes in and gives Cena an excuse for taking the loss while Theory gets the win over him and they do a Shawn Michaels Diesel type of situation, or Cena actually winning the title before losing it the next night in a U.S. Open Challenge on Raw, the Raw after WrestleMania. And that could be to a debuting wrestler if WWE did sign Jay White or a returning wrestler like Matt Riddle or Shinsuke Nakamura or someone they just want to put over in a massive way like Montez Ford. 
So I do think there are ways they can make Theory Cena for the title work, even though going into it, I said at Chamber, I thought Theory was going to drop the title because I just assumed Theory would fight Cena in a non-title match. I agree. I, I we, we both had the same thought process going into the Elimination Chamber for that reason, and clearly Theory versus Cena is going to happen and going to make a lot of sense. And I actually am interested in that because I think the promos, if we can get a couple promos between them, I think it'll be really good. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, the likely match that I think is almost assuredly going to happen, it's obviously something involving Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio. It really feels like it should be one-on-one, but them adding the Santos Escobar element to Rey over on SmackDown uh, two weeks ago, technically, but also referencing it last week. Obviously, Dom has Damian Priest. It seems to me like WWE is going to go to a tag team match here rather than one-on-one, and I'm not exactly sure why unless... They're pushing that one-on-one story out until SummerSlam or another show. But it does seem to be setting up the respect dynamic with Escobar for Ray and the big brother dynamic with Priest for Dom. So I'm wondering which way you think they're going to go. It's it's the it's the concern question I've had the whole time is, is Dom versus Ray a WrestleMania match? And the one I keep coming back to is Cody versus Goldust not being a WrestleMania match Mm -hmm. and that they didn't feel like it was worth being a WrestleMania match. And I could a hundred percent see that being the case. Not that I agree, but I could, I can see the similarities there in which case you do add uh, two people to make it a tag team. But I don't know. Like I I would rather see it one-on-one doesn't need to be a long match, but I think there's a really good story there. I just don't know if they trust both of them individually to kind of have that spot. Yeah. And if it was one-on-one Ray obviously has to win. If you do this, the heels can win because you have Escobar yeah. there to take the fall or, you know, Priest and Dom can both beat Ray and Crow about that. It does give them a little bit more flexibility, I think, doing a tag team match. Now, here's the matches that are still to be determined uh, with the people involved, I guess, that are still to be determined as well. Let's go one by one here. Tag team championship. Usos are the champions, undisputed. Either Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens or Drew McIntyre and Sheamus. Chris, we discussed this earlier a little bit. I still lean towards Sammy and Kevin. I do think that's the direction they're going. Obviously, they did say what they said, Cole did, Friday about McIntyre and Sheamus. I'm going to hold them off. I'm going to hope that it's Sammy and Kevin. That's what I would book. And I'm also going to predict that's what they do. Yep, sticking with that as well. So the Intercontinental Championship, that leaves Gunther against TBD. Now, in previous years, the IC title has not been on the WrestleMania card. I see no way that Triple H keeps Gunther off the WrestleMania card and the Intercontinental title that he's been building up all year off the card. I don't think that's happening. So my hope and what we projected was that McIntyre and Sheamus would slide into this and it would be a triple threat match. They can easily get there. Someone else could be involved as well. That only, The only other person that I think it could be, if it's not them, would be Brock Lesnar. But I don't think they should do it and I don't want them to do it. They've already used Ricochet and Braun Strowman as challengers. They've both lost. They're also now a tag team kind of that works. So I'm going to go with Gunther against McIntyre and Sheamus in a triple threat and hope that the reason they had them beat the Raiders was to make them look strong. The reason Cole said what he said is because they do have momentum going into WrestleMania, just not as a team, as two individuals. Yep, completely agree. Again, it's what we it's what we booked a few weeks ago. I see no reason at this point to change from that. So then we have whatever this mess is, either Brock Lesnar against Bobby Lashley or 
Lesnar against Omos and Lashley against Bray Wyatt. We've already discussed the situation. The only way we're going to figure it out, Chris, is seeing what happens across the next week. It remains immensely odd, and it should be Lesnar and Lashley, but I don't even have a prediction. That's how confused I am. Yeah, it's either one match or two by a combination of these people. And then also some combination of one or two matches involving Becky Lynch, Bailey, Damage Control, Ronda Rousey, Shayna Baszler. Um, I like the idea that you came up with earlier, which is Damage Control losing the titles to Ronda and Shayna on TV before WrestleMania, which would then allow us to do Becky Lynch, Lita, and possibly Trish Stratus against Damage Control as a team, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler against Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez, or maybe a women's tag team title match that has three or four teams that could work as well. That's the direction I'm going to go because you put that into my head and I love it. I just don't think doing Bailey and Becky Lynch in a singles match and damage control against Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler, I don't think that's the story they're telling based on what's happening on TV right now. Agree. So so given those last two things we said are one match or two matches, how many matches total do you have there? Including those? Yes. It, it's either, it's either an, you can add two or not add two. Right. So if it's that. two with the women, um, well, we have to figure out whether it's two with the women and whether it's two with Lesnar, Lashley, right. Omos, Wyatt. We have to assume, though, that Wyatt's going to have a match, even if it's a swerve and it's not. Right, in it. right. So it's, yeah. So, so it's so pulling that all up. We have mm-hmm. 13 total matches. Now, last okay. year, we had 15 total segments that included Steve Austin and KO as the main event, and then the Pat McAfee deal, which ended up being two matches. So technically, right. I guess you could say it was 16 total matches where there were results, but it was 15 segments last year. That, what we just broke down, Chris, gets us to 13, which mm-hmm. leaves one or two things left. And I mean, the names not involved right now are Liv Morgan, the Street Profits, Miz, New Day, Viking Raiders, Imperium, other than Gunther, Karrion Cross, LA Knight, Ricochet, Braun Strowman, and Raquel Rodriguez. If we do the tag team booking we talked about, that's Liv and Raquel. That makes sense. Uh, I could see LA Knight, Karrion Cross, the Viking Raiders, and nah. not being on. Nah. I can see that. Well, but yeah. Street Profits, Ricochet, Braun Strowman, and Miz, you'd think they, and New Day, you'd think they have to get on somehow. Maybe. There, there, there's one other name that I think will have a segment on the show that we didn't talk about, and that is The Rock. He'll probably be there. I can see that showing up. Even if he's not, even if he's not in a match, we don't know. Roman stuff, I don't know. But it's in L.A., it feels like the rock's got to be there. So that, that, that we know through history that rock segments at WrestleMania are their own, are their own matches sometimes literally. So yeah, we had 14 matches at WrestleMania 37, 14, 15, 16 ish last year, basically. So we're again, probably looking at that 14 or 15 total number. And that's not counting potential performances, um, maybe additional celebrity appearances that we're not prepared for yet. I mean, right now it's only Logan Paul on the show. So there's no Bad Bunny, there's no Pat McAfee, there's no one else that's a surprise, a new person that they could potentially add. Look out for that. That could take some of those final segments. Um, Maybe they do the Andre on the show and put some people in that. It's going to be interesting to see. But we're, you know, again, extrapolating the booking based on what you and I just did. We got, you know, it seems like 85, 90% of the way there in terms of the WrestleMania card. Let's see, based on the to-be-determined matches that we just discussed, how many of those fall into place. If they line up with what our projections and our hopes are, that's what we will talk about over the next six weeks or so of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Chris, that brings us to the final segment of today's show, The Last Word. 
So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. We gon' have this poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make you scratch your niche for it like fresh cut grass. Now, we actually have two last words here because I did get an email. We don't get a lot of emails. We mostly get DMs and tweets and stuff. We got an email from Christopher F. a couple weeks ago, and I've been delaying it. But if you're emailing us, you're getting on the show. I appreciate it. He said, 60-year-old lifelong wrestling fan, fan of the show, always wondered if there's a backstory to why we never got Hogan Flair at WrestleMania 8. Thank you so much. Love the show. So I have another one, Chris, that we can go back and forth on. This, there's been a variety of reporting over the years. There's three prevailing stories that are Hulk Hogan and Sid Justice was always the scheduled match, that there was a concern over Ric Flair not being as purely hated as Sid, and that the house show program of Hogan and Flair did not draw as well as WWF expected going into that period Mm -hmm. of time. There are two things we know about Vince McMahon. One, he is stubborn, especially when it comes to changing WrestleMania plans, and he only caved recently when there was overwhelming fan pressure for Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston which did not exist in 1992 without social media. The other thing we know about him is he rarely puts wrestlers he didn't create over his biggest homegrown stars. What people Mm -hmm. don't often discuss enough about WrestleMania 8 is the circumstances surrounding the show. Hogan was accused publicly of taking steroids, and he was about to step away from WWF. So he couldn't exactly win the title, and Vince wouldn't have let Flair defeat him, as I just mentioned. What Flair did was put over Macho Man Randy Savage in his second title reign. So sure, we didn't get Hogan Flair, but we got Flair Savage. Not to mention, Hogan Sid was clearly the storyline they were developing as far back as the Royal Rumble, where Flair won the title and Sid and Hogan like eliminated each other, and that whole situation happened. So I don't buy what Ric Flair frequently says, which is that they didn't think that the program that they did on the house show was drawing well enough to be a WrestleMania match. I believe this was always the plan based on those circumstances. So Chris, you asked the question, Christopher, I answered it. I hope that uh, provides some insight. And I'm not saying I'm right because there's been so many different takes on this, but just kind of looking at the reporting that has been done, that is the way I break the entire thing down. Now, Chris, the question for you, the last word, comes from Eldred Ryan at Acme Tunes. Question for us, I should say. Uh, we all know where you guys now stand in the Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels debate, Eldred said. However, as a fellow 90s kid and a hip-hop fan, where do you guys stand on the Tupac Biggie debate? So I know that you're not a huge hip-hop head like I am. I'll let you go first with your answer, and then I'll follow you. Yeah, I, I I like hip hop and, and rap. I'm just I'm not a major connoisseur, so to speak. But uh, of the two, I'm picking Tupac. I've got more of his songs on my phone and listen to them more frequently. I just uh, generally he has more songs that I like. And so that's that's the reasoning for my pick. No, it makes sense. Uh, Pac was extraordinary. I mean, just a great lyricist. Um, he what what he did on his albums it hadn't really been accomplished before. And you can make an argument that it took, you know, another decade for someone to really kind of come along and tell some of the stories that he did. Being someone who grew up in Florida, whose entire family is from New York, and who very much has been an East Coast person his entire life, Biggie always spoke to me more, Notorious B.I.G. 
Um, Ten Crack Commandments is one of my favorite songs. Uh, the death of Biggie rocked me harder than the death of Pac. And when we had the East Coast, West Coast battle, which was very much a thing, uh, when I grew up, despite Puffy being kind of part of that, obviously, as the leader of Bad Boy, I always sided with Biggie and their crew more than I did the guys on the West Coast, which is strange because I am a massive Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, um, Death Row Records, Aftermath, Eminem. Like, I, I'm, I'm a massive fan of everything they do. And again, I love Pac, but when it specifically came down to Pac versus Biggie, the argument that everyone had in the 90s, I was always a B.I.G. guy. Always have been, always will be. But unlike the Brett and Sean debate, which I think tongue in cheek, I kind of said last week, Brett screwed Brett and so on and so forth. Pac Biggie is way closer to being equal in my mind. Like Sean and Brett, you liked them depending on what you saw be more important to a wrestler, whether it was the wrestling aspect or the entertainment aspect, or perhaps based on how you felt about Vince McMahon, you're going to take one side or the other there. Biggie Pac, it is to me just a matter of preference of which music you like more, which music spoke to you more. For me, it was Biggie. For you, Pac, you like his songs more. There's not a wrong answer, um, but I appreciate the question. And those are definitely the types of questions that we would love to answer here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, because the last word, this segment, again, just as a reminder for anyone who may want to send in questions in the future, it is not about present day wrestling storylines. You can ask us historical stuff, preferences, this person versus another person. I have another question coming up on who we think is going to win a world title first in WWE, person X or person Y. We're going to have that for next week. I got a DM that's waiting in the wings about food uh, for this segment, the last word in the future. So you guys can send those in. You can tweet us at getting overcast. You can email us gettingoverpod at gmail.com. And we will try to get your questions in the last word for vintage and the silver King to answer. And some weeks we'll even do two If we have a bunch of them that we need to get out of the way, Chris, Thank you once again for joining today's show. I appreciate all of you out there listening. Some reminders on the way out. First, I just mentioned it. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can DM and tweet us, but you can also get episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, and so much more all on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Let's also not forget what this program is about. It's all about the five. Again, folks, I love the five. I happen to love the number five. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And if you happen to be a first-time listener, do not forget to hit that subscribe button because you can get Getting Over wherever you listen to fine audio, certainly wherever you're listening to it right now. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Link is in our bio on Twitter at Getting Overcast. If you have a different platform that you prefer, please subscribe to the show. Tell your friends, tell your family. It is the road to WrestleMania 39. This is where business picks up. And we feel, little Barry Horowitz pat on the back here, that we do our best work. So do not forget to sign up and join us here if this is your first time listening to the program. As I said, thanks to Chris for joining me. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back Thursday with our AEW and NXT show. We will also talk about Mercedes Monet, Jay White, and what happened at the latest New Japan show. So don't forget to join us on Thursday. But at this moment, it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>